You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Our lopes are back. If you are from GCU, can you lift up a shout? Wow, that's awesome. If you're from ASU, all right, perfect. Yeah, that's all right. You guys start winning football games, it'll change. Don't worry. Everyone will be excited. We love ASU. Our ASU Chi Alpha uh, people are fantastic too. So excited that you're here. I'd like to do this. We have so many new people over, even before today, over the past couple weeks. We've had like 60 new people over the past like four or five weeks. So over the summer a lot. So I thought we'd do this because I don't know everyone and I know you guys don't know everyone. I thought we would all say our name and get to know each other. Fair? So on the count of three, three, I just want you to say your name and we'll call it. Ready? Okay. So one, two, three. Good. Everyone knows everyone's name now? No, that's why small groups. <laughs> the reason that you don't know everyone's name in this church is because there's too many to know. And so that's why small groups. So we have small groups coming up this week. My wife and I have a Tuesday group. It's going to meet here. But I'm believing that as we're meeting here, some incredible person is going to say, hey, what if we met at our house? And I'm going to say, amen, let it be. And we're going to go there. So if you'd like to preemptively strike, uh, let me know. And we'll meet at your house in Scottsdale. Nah, I, lo- I love you, Fountain Hills or whatever, but Scottsdale. Um, and then we got Wednesday night. We're starting a presence night. Um, it's really like our worship and prayer gathering here as a church. And I know Carson's doing a big like kind of after party for everyone who wants to hang out. So especially targeted to young adults, young professionals, college age. So that's Wednesday nights. Uh, and then uh, after the presence night. And then Thursday nights, we have a group that meets out in the East Valley. Uh, awesome group. What we're really believing is seeding into that part of our city. And then Saturday mornings, we have a women's group with Kelly. Really fantastic time to come together. And then the group that's actually starting tonight is at Kevin and Sheila's house in Tempe. So all of our Tempe people or people who don't mind driving literally 10 minutes, uh, that's an awesome group. It's going to be fun. And all these groups, really a great chance to go through uh, go through the word together, grow together, build community together. So uh, I know that we love shouting our names, and I love gathering together and worshiping, but I think that's a really a killer time, and that's really how the church grows. I don't mean adds numbers. I mean grows. Amen? Amen. Well, hey, this morning we are talking through Jonah. You're in the middle of our Meant for More series, and we're talking about this idea of, like, what, what is our purpose? Where does our purpose come from? Because as a church, I believe we have a great purpose, but we can't even really get to that until we realize that we have a purpose as individuals, that God has called each one of us. Because we can like cast vision, and we got a vision night coming up in September, and we can do all these things, but if we have neglected how God has uniquely called and empowered and enabled us, then it's just kind of going through the motions, And as a church, I want to be a church of revival, of life, of fun, of celebration, of purpose. And all of you were created on purpose for a purpose. And so in this series, we've been talking about how do we discover what that is. So Jonah 2, um, we kind of, I feel like, got through the heavy part, right? We got through the running from God. We got through the whale. So if this is your first week, you're hitting it on what I would consider the upswing, right? Not, not messages on like heavy repentance or like anything like that. It wasn't depressing. Jimin was here. It was fine, right? 
It was fine. Good. Uh, <laughs> but we're finding Jonah now where he was in the whale. He had run from God. He was swallowed up. He's like, throw me in the ocean. And they did. Got swallowed up, was in the belly, repented. And now he gets spit out onto the shore. And like we said, when he spit out onto the shore, it doesn't propel him 350 miles into Nineveh. It just spits him onto the beach. And so where we're encountering Jonah is laying on the beach, no money, because he spent all his money to go to Tarshish. So he's broke. He stinks of fish insides, which, <laughs> it's bad, people. Uh, if you've ever cleaned a fish, that stays with you forever. Um, I'm from Washington. We fish all the time, and my hands stunk like fish all summer, all the time. It's nasty. Um, and, then, <laughs> and the third thing we really encounter is him trying to evaluate his purpose, having gone through this cycle. So we're going to be in Jonah 3. If you, bought your, if you brought your Bibles, open them up. If not, the words will be on the screen, I'm assuming... That I highlighted in my notes, right? But we're going to pray and jump into it this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to learn from your word. And God, I pray that as we dive into Jonah, God, I pray that you would awaken our hearts even more. God, even if, God, we've heard the story of Jonah, even if um, we've been to church a hundred times, God, I pray that this morning there would be an awakening in our hearts to the depth and riches of your love, God, that there would be a deeper awakening to your purpose. God, and I pray that maybe this is our first time at church. God, I pray just an openness and a, and a readiness and just saying, God, whatever you would have this morning, I just open my heart to you. I hold nothing back. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you guys ready to go through Jonah 3 together? Good. Well, this week, uh, I was having dinner with a good friend of mine, uh, with Jensen, who was playing guitar up here, and we were talking a lot about the church. I don't know where he went. Oh, there he is. We were talking a lot about the church, talking about the church in America, talking about, uh, I, guess I, I guess I'm technically a millennial, even though I'm in my 30s, it still like counts. Um, everyone older than me thinks I'm a millennial, and everyone younger than me thinks I'm out of date. Um, <laughs> so I don't know where I live. It's like I grew up with Ninja Turtles, but not the animated new one. I don't know. Where, that, where does that live? This confused 90s? I don't know. Um, I dress like how Forever 21 looks now, but as a child. Whatever that generation was, that's what I am. <laughs> that's us. Um, and I just bought a shirt there, so it's, it all looks the same. I was like, I owned this. Um, but we're talking about the church, and, I, and, and the church in America, I think uh, some generations are, are hard on. Sometimes I think we're hard on the church in America. We're hard on it. We're hard on what it's about and the people in it and the commitment level and all these kind of things. Um, and, and it's just this... I don't know, this kind of toughness when we're describing it. But, but I'm excited about the church. Can I be honest this morning and say, I'm excited about this generation of the church. Because I see really good things about this generation. And when I say generation of the church, I don't mean an age. I mean, if you are a part of a body of believers in this time, right? So you could be 60 or 16. We're all a part of the same generation united in the body of Christ together. That's what makes it cool. That's why you can go to a small group and have a six-year-old person and a 16-year-old person diving in the word together, and it still works because it's a family. It's about the generation. And, and so I believe big things. We were kind of talking about this. Like, I, I feel like work, the, the, new, the next kind of younger people are coming up and getting their shot, and there's, there's opportunity for what God's going to do. And so sometimes we look at it, and we're like, I don't know, the church, here's how people are, and here's why these kind of people don't go to church and this doesn't happen. When I look at the church, I see revival. When I look at the church, I see good things. I, I see big things. It's beyond numbers. It's about identity. It's about hope. It's about life. It's about future. It's about belief. It's about togetherness and unity. 
And, and it can be difficult because when we look at our country, I would say, we would say um, it's not even remotely close to perfect, right? Like far from perfect. Um, and and I, I love this country. I, you know, I, I love where I live. I love my city. I love all these things. But I think we could be honest and say uh, it's not perfect. I think we could also be honest and say it's been worse. Like it's been bad before. Like um, it, it's been rough. Not, you know, not everywhere, but in a lot of the country, it's been bad. And, and what I think is difficult about these times when it's been bad is that uh, we struggle to see when revival's coming, when revival's happening. But what's cool is when we think things are getting bad, it's like our nation is poised for revival. And when we look all throughout history, we say, oh, man, things are bad, and this is bad, and I don't like this guy in office, and I don't like these policies, and I don't like how these people are being treated, and I don't like how these, man, these things are really bad. What we see all the time is if we could just kind of get our head out of the negative, what we see is this revival that's kind of like bursting up out of the ground, and that's happening and growing and building and hope that's alive. And I see that now, and we use this word kind of revival, and I believe that we're a nation poised for revival, but I think it's important that we say, what does that even mean? Because if I say and get up on stage like, the church is in revival, people are like, amen. But if I say, here's what it costs to get revival, we're like, I don't know. Because <laughs> we got to know what the word, it's kind of like using accept and accept. For those who are going back to school, good luck. I still don't know. <laughs> I don't know when to use them. I ask teachers, they kind of still don't know, let's be honest. We don't know. One is about bringing in. One is about exception. But that kind of sounds like the same thing to me. So I think English is a lie. <laughs> I'm learning Spanish right now. It's way easier. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I think we need to know, what does this word mean? What does revival mean? Because I think we, we kind of like think we know. We see it in conferences or on TV. Or if you've been around church for a while, if you're ever in a youth group, they were like, stand on your table and scream at your school about, about Jesus and there'll be revival. And then you do and someone threw potatoes at you and you didn't do it again. And we try to know like, what does revival mean in our life? And, and this morning, I want to talk about revival because I think if we really say we want revival, we have to ask ourselves, do I really want it? Everything has a cost. Do I really want it? The definition of revival that, that I love, um, again, not like a Webster thing, but I love in Jonathan Edwards' revival, there was a definition that kind of came up that described, here's what revival looks like. And revival is when God transforms believers and non-believers in a church, a city, a nation, uh, into enthusiastic Christ followers who are witness and a part of conversions, thirst for the word, presence of God, serving, giving, confessing, and often miraculous signs. Amen? That sounds awesome. Everyone's like, except the giving <coughs> Um, I'm sorry. We have a very generous church, actually. I, I love, we're one of the biggest mission-supporting churches in the Assemblies of God. This church, this size, one of the biggest in the Assemblies of God. So we celebrate that. Amen. That's why we can joke about it. Other churches can't because no one gives. Uh, <laughs> uh, but what I love, uh, there's, you know, there's certain things I love, certain things I don't about our country. What I do love about our country is that we're a country of revival. And then in America, I don't know if you know if you knew this, but when things get bad, revival comes. When things get a little sideways, we see revival. Not implosion, we see revival. All, all the time. And really following every kind of major moment and united with every major moment of history, there is revival. Uh, he, here's a couple. You guys ready? Great Awakening, obviously, one of the big ones. It's got great in the name. 
uh, Great Awakening, 1734. This is Jonathan Edwards. After years of um, basically unfruitful ministry, he led what was labeled a the city's best company keeper to the Lord. Uh, prostitute. Everyone, okay. People were looking at me like, company keeper? Yeah, <laughs> that kind of company. Led to the Lord. All of a sudden, revival breaks out, spreads across the, the whole nature. Revival, 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 revival meetings, revival prayer. Lives are changed. Conversions. George Whitfield becomes a major evangelist. Leads like thousands to be saved. Second Great Awakening, right? That's the evangelical revival. You got uh, Charles Finney. He leads 500,000 to the Lord. And at the time, our nation was just growing. And things that grow have problems. And in those problems, what happened was there was a revival and uh, evangelical Christians went from 350,000 to 3 million. 3 million. That makes a difference. Uh, The businessman's revival, 1857, one million people converted in, in what was considered the great prayer meeting revival of that day, revitalizing prayer. Uh, Civil War revival, right? Very dark time of history. A lot of what changed the hearts of people to recognizing that who who the sun sets free is free indeed, regardless of skin color, is the revival that happened that awakened the truth of the word of the Lord, not the distortion of it in people's hearts. Amen? Urban renewals. Dwight L. Moody, right? Uh, really popular. This is at the rise of Darwinism, the shift away from, from uh, understanding the world as God had set it into motion. There's a massive revival. Revival in 1905 called the Welsh Revivals in Pennsylvania. The Azusa Street Revival in 1906. One of my favorite, William J. Seymour, right? Black preacher, blind in one eye, goes into a church, preaches about holiness. They lock him out for the second service because they don't want him. So what does he do? He goes next door and starts interracial prayer meetings. You're like, of course. Yeah, but that was a big deal in 1906. Starts interracial prayer meetings. People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every skin color come, and they worship and pray and see miracles and revival. 1906. Post-World War II awakening. I know you guys have probably heard of Billy Graham, right? Yeah, this is kind of a big deal. (laughs) Includes the rain revival, the healing revival, the college revivals. Then we go to the 90s. You got the Toronto Blessing, the Modesto Revival, the Brownsville Revival, the Promise Keeper Revival. I only just picked some so I wouldn't run out of time. That we are a nation that when things get crazy, all people of all tribes and all colors turn to the Lord and there's revival. And I want that. Amen. I want that. In, in our church. I want that in my life. I want that in my city. I want that. I desire that. I want to know what do all these have in common because I want to get some of that. I want people from every tribe. I want people from every nation. I want people from every background. I want people from every wealth status. I don't care if you're from the country club to the strip clubs. We want you in here getting revival. Amen. And so our question is, what is Revival. And how do we get it? What do all these have in common? I want you to know that God wants revival. That the missing equation is is not God's desire for revival in this church. The missing part of the equation is not God's goodness or his faithfulness or his presence. Right? God desires revival. God desires revival in your life. God desires revival in your family. God desires revival in your home, in your school, even the Christian ones. 
He desires revival in the work. He desires revival in this city, in Scottsdale, in Phoenix, all the way out to Glendale. He desires revival. And if we say, that sounds awesome, I think we also got to say, how are we going to get it? And we see this cycle, and it's an important cycle that we see in every revival. It's uh, important but sometimes unpopular, but I think that we're honest enough people, and we can have tough conversations and be real, right? Can we be real this morning? Amen. Here's, here's the formula. Someone said, no, get out. No. <laughs> here's the formula. Ready? Repentance, response, revival. Repentance, response, revival. You can write it down now or you can write it down one of the thousand more times I'm going to say it this morning. Repentance, response, revival. Three things that are crucial in every revival. Obviously, revival is crucial in revival, but here's the formula. Here's how it's going to go, right? Repentance, first one. This is so crucial, so crucial. We've been talking about this for two weeks, so I just kind of wanted to spitball this one out there. Uh, you can go back and listen to those sermons, but repentance is so key, right? In Jonah 2, 8 through 9, we saw uh, the, the response of Jonah who said, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He says, God, I'm done going my own way. I'm done doing my own thing. I'm done living by my own standards. I'm done following my own will. Here's my whole heart, my whole being. I realize my purpose is not found in all of these vain things that are going to fall apart. My, my purpose is found in your presence, and I just want to get back into your presence. So repentance comes out. God, I, I confess of the chains that I've put on myself that have kept me from the goodness of your presence, that I'm constantly putting chains of lust and, and, and self-priority and idolatry all, all over myself and keeping myself locked away from what you have for me. God, just take all this junk off of me. I want to get in your presence. Repentance is key, and it's the first step. Recognizes that we're not God. We need God. We need him. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God, I open my heart, and I lay all my sin bare before you. And I say, God, just take it all, and I thank you that your son is gracious and good and that your mercy is new every day. God, I need you. And so in Jonah 3, we pick up really at the end of repentance, and I want to read together. We're going to read through the scripture a couple things just really quick this morning. Jonah 3, 1 through 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So we kind of pick up in this cycle in the life of Jonah, where he's repented. And now we're kind of on to the second thing that we see, which is really the, the whole central focus of uh, chapter 3, is that we see the response. See, after repentance, there's always a response. It's a chance to be obedient. It's like, do I, feel, do I just kind of feel bad and guilty and shame? Anyone done that? Apologize to the Lord thing because you feel shame, but you don't actually want to change anything about your life because you really like the things that you do. Like that, that is where the shift happens because obedience will always unlock opportunity in the kingdom of God. Follow me here. Obedience will always unlock opportunity in the kingdom of God. And so that's why we have to choose. Will I, do I really mean it or am I just saying it? Because my folks made me go to church. 
because I walk through these things over and over. Because for 40 years, I kind of do this cycle. Or do I really meet it? Because if I want to see my purpose unlocked, then it's only obedience that unlocks the opportunity in the kingdom of God. It's not charisma. That's the kingdom of man. It's not talent. That's the kingdom of man. It's not looks. That's the kingdom of man. It is purely obedience that unlocks the opportunity in the kingdom of God. I, uh, I love studying branding. I did, I did a lot of design and art, and, and uh, I was really fascinated when Shepard Ferry started doing the Obey campaign. Has anyone ever seen those, like, Obey brand, the shirts and, and all these things? And he did, like, Obama's Hope poster, all that kind of stuff. Um, Shepard Ferry had a very simple premise. It's based off a, a movie in the 80s, um, and it's this idea that if power perceived as power achieved, and if you tell people, obey, 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 what will naturally occur inside of them is they go, no. And now the word obey is a symbol of like, we're not obeying, which is hilarious. It becomes like this totally counter symbol. It's brilliant marketing, changed the way. A lot of the way that they market to us now is based off this premise of kind of like sarcastically addressing you and kind of talking like, don't, don't listen to the man but buy his stuff, you know? It's kind of this whole idea because obedience isn't a popular word. It's not my most favorite word to preach on. I, you know, you don't get the most amens about obedience, but it is the most crucial one because it opens opportunity in the kingdom of God. See, no one has entered into true revival without first walking through the door that obedience opened. No one has ever stepped into revival without walking in obedience. Those two are fully and completely linked. You can have emotional ramping up, good programs, good lights. We could blast this place full of LEDs. It will not bring true revival unless we walk through obedience. You can obediently walk through with LEDs. It's all good. There's no hate on that. But the good news that we see in uh, Jonah chapter 3 is that the word comes again from Jonah. It says, the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Do you think Jonah needed God to tell him a second time to go? I think kind of probably yes. Again, Jonah's laying on the sand. He's freed. He smells of fish. He's broke. He's sad. He's depressed. He's 350 miles. It's a long way from where he needs to be, and he's just laying there on the sand. And God says, hey, Jonah, here's your second chance. Here's another chance. See, God is saying to Jonah, and he's saying to you, I saved you to send you, not to sit you. In your life, in your mission, at your school, in your family, God saved you not just to sit you aside. Thank goodness it's not broken anymore. We put it together with some glue. But he saved you to send you into your community, into your school, into your place of work. He saved you to send you into the mission that he called you for. Not just saving you out of something, but saving you for something. Lamentations 3, through 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, when we miss the mark, we still get the grace because God looks at the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not our sin. And so when God looks at you, he says, hey, I, I didn't just send my son to die for you, be resurrected, rescue you from sin, take you out of life just so I could sit you, but so I could send you because you got a great purpose on your life, a purpose for revival, a purpose for what I've called you to do. And Jonah's repentance might have brought mercy, but his obedience brings revival. Kind of think of it like this way. Let's say the Arizona Cardinals, for those of you who follow football, let's say they traded away all future draft picks for an aging Tom Brady. And you're like, okay, bold move. 
And then Tom Brady gets here. First game, you're thinking, man, we're going to do this. He's the GOAT. He's going to crush it. And they sit him. There would be bird gang riots throughout the land. I don't know what there is to burn in this city, concrete bricks, but they would burn it. Because if, if you have paid a great price for something, you don't sit it when it's called to something good. Amen? And God has paid a great price for you that you can never pay, and his mercy's good, and you sit yourself, and God says, no, I called you to send you for something good, for something big, not someone else, you, not charisma, not talent, not looks, good things for you. I've called, and I've called to send you, not to sit you. He says, go and preach the message I tell you. I like that. He doesn't tell him what the message is. He says, I'm going to tell you the message. God wants us to trust him. Did you know that? And our repentance is not relative to our level of control or comfort. If you need God in your life to tell you all the details before you have faith or trust in him, then you're a control freak. And it is not until you release the idol of control that you will be released from the chains of perfection addiction and anxiety in your life. Let it go. Trust in him. He's better. He's bigger. He's greater. This is Jonah 3, 3 through 4. It says, so he goes, he arose and went to Nineveh. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey, he called out. Nineveh, great city, size, scale, reputation, military, all of these things. It's huge. It's massive. It's meant to say the scale is big. It says it takes three days to walk. It means three days to walk around. If a human can walk around 20 to 30 miles in a day, if they're really going, that means it's 60 miles around. That means, I, I did the math here, and this is, this is pastor math, so it's close. It's like attendance. <laughs> The radius would be nine and a half miles, and basically that would be Chandler to all the way north Scottsdale, the end of Phoenix that way, to Mesa uh, that way. That's rough, but that gives perspective, right? That is the length of the city he's walking into. That's big. No car, right? No car. That's, that's the size, the scale of the city as, as they claim it to be. And I was, being, I was being a little smaller just to be safe that no one called me out. Um, <laughs> But Jonah responds to God. He said, yes, I'm going to go. I know that you've called to send me, not to sit me. And so he goes out. And what happens immediately is that he encounters a massive, scary, big, bigger than him obstacle. And the truth, the important thing that we see in Jonah is that obstacles do not dictate our obedience. Obstacles do not decide our obedience. See, the level of our obstacle is not, doesn't like proportionately decide the level of our obedience. If you encounter a big obstacle, well, then you can dial it back a little bit because, I mean, man, look what you're facing, right? It's not about the scale of the obstacle to us, but the obstacle to God. And we say all the time, God, I'm trying to obey you. I'm trying to do what you say, but look what you called me to do. God says, man, I, I've called you to be a, be a light in your family. You say, have you seen my family? Like You're like, Pastor, I... You have not been around my family. My family can't even be around my family. Like, I'm supposed to be a light to these people? I'm just trying to survive. <laughs> like, I need to be a fortress. You know, I, but God has called you. He said he's called you to, to your work, to be a light in your work or in your school, in your city, in your neighborhood. You're like, I don't even have time to know my neighbors. God, do you know what I'm going through? And we have this phrase, and I'm going to shoot it down right now. God never gives you more than you can handle. That's a lie. <laughs> 
God says he will never, you will never be tempted beyond what you can handle by the power of the Holy Spirit that is only by your own choice to sin that you were dragged away. Right? That's about temptation. God always gives you more than you can handle or else I'm living the wrong life. <laughs> My life is God can give, give you more than you can handle. Yesterday was God can give you more than handle. This morning God gave me more than I can handle. Right? Anyone else living this life? Who when they hear that thinks that's such a load of crap. God always gives you more, but what he always gives you is more of him. And the obstacles that you're facing are never bigger than the God that you're obeying. Hear me, church, in your life, in your home, in your school, in your family, the obstacles that you're facing this week are not bigger than the God that you're obeying. And often when you're facing big obstacles, it's because God's got really big things planned. As a church, we face some big obstacles. I've never wanted to quit ministry so much in my life other than when I moved here. <laughs> in that moment of moving here, my kid hated it and cried all the time, and I was miserable. And there's hot, and then there's here. You know, it's, like, there's, it's, it's tough. I mean, I love it now. I'm in passion. I'm emboldened to what God has. But there's those moments we can all be real, amen? It's like this is more than I can handle. But the obstacles are never greater. The obstacles I'm facing are never greater than the God that I'm obeying. They've never had victory. They've never been victorious over him. They've beaten me down, but they've never beaten him. Some of you got a dream, you got a hope, you have a calling, and you're like, man, I want revival. But you're facing some big obstacles. I was thinking of Israel. They get to the promised land. They've been waiting. They've been walking through the desert. They've been walking through this kind of stuff. They've been walking through the desert, and they're, like, ready to get in. And so they send 12 men to, to go scout it out. They've seen a pillar of fire. They've seen a pillar of smoke. They've seen seas parted. They send 12 men, and, and you're probably, Moses is probably thinking, man, we're in this thing. There's nothing they could see that's going to stop them. Now, they've seen water stop. They've seen fire sky. Nothing's going to stop them. Ten come back and say, no, that's not happening. There's giants. In my dream, between me and my dream, there's giants. And I just can't do that. Two come back and say, yeah, God, I don't remember the part where you told us we had to do it. I thought you were going to do it. And I believe in you. And I believe where you've called me. And I believe what you've called me to. And there's no such thing as a giant bigger than you, than you, God. There's nothing that could stand in the way of the promise that's bigger than you. If you've called us, then I'm going to go. If you told us to be obedient, then I'm going to go. There's nothing that could stop that. Because I've seen you and I know you and I know that you're good and I know that you're powerful. And I know that the God I'm obeying is always greater than the obstacles that I'm facing. Two of them, or ten of them missed it, two of them saw it, and they got to be giant slayers, and I want a church full of giant slayers. And that's not to diminish your giant. I've sat with some of you in your giants. I've been to your giant. I've seen your giant. I've heard about your giant, so I'm not diminishing it. I'm just trying to get us to know and remember again and be encouraged that your God is bigger, that he's bigger, that he's good, that he loves you, that he cares for you. That he wants revival too. He wants revival in your life. He wants revival in your home. He wants revival in your family. He wants revival in this, in, in this city right here, in this old town. He wants revival. And he's saying, do you trust me? Are you willing to respond in obedience to where I call, what I say, what I've asked? Do we want to see revival? If so, the, the formula is the same. Repentance, response, revival. Revival. 
Look with me at Jonah 3, 4. So says, Jonah began to go into the city, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Kind of a short but uncomfortable message to yell to an enemy. Um, just imagine you went into another uh, army's fort, and you said, in 40 days, you're all going to die. <laughs> Good luck. You better run out. And so he calls out this uncomfortable thing. It's, I feel like God always does this. He never calls me to something comfortable. I wish God would call me to the couch, but he never does. He always, he always calls me somewhere else where he's like, yell things at enemies. And I'm like, all right, well, here we go. <laughs> but it's a summation of his message. And, and the progression comes to life here in Nineveh. And this is really kind of the last time. Stay with me here before we go. It is the progression comes to life in Nineveh. Repentance. Response, revival. Jonah 3, 5 through 8, it says, this is after he calls out, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. This is after the, his whole message is, 40 days and you're going to die. They all say, oh, man, that sounds terrible. I think we should follow God. So they begin to follow Christ, and it says, the word, or the Lord, the word reached the king of, of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles that neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out to the mighty God, Call out mightily to God, sorry. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so we may not perish. It says, even the cows they covered. So they got up and they said, oh my gosh, I super don't want to die. So they covered themselves in sackcloth and this heavy woven fabric. They sat in ash. And once they did that, they're like, what more can we do to repent? I don't, let's just cover the cows. And then they covered the cows. Then they covered the sheep. And then they covered the children. Then they covered the children's cows and the cow's children. And they just got crazy with sackcloth and ashes. And the sackcloth and ash price shot up. But they went crazy. And they're like, maybe God, maybe God will have mercy on us. Maybe God will free us. Maybe God, and they say that if you don't feed a cow for a day, that you can hear their mooing from two miles away. Is that true, someone? <laughs> yeah, you can, amen. I have a toddler, so if I don't feed her for a day, I can hear her from 10 miles away. Um, but yeah, the cow, two miles away, so there's just a great eruptive moo that is occurring for miles in this city. And they're just like, God, anything we can do, right? It says in 3.9, who knows, God may turn and relent from his fierce anger. They're like, we don't even know, but just in case, cover the animals. But they're so desperate. I've been this desperate. And everyone ever been this desperate? It's like when your eyes are open and you realize the chains on your life that you've been walking through. And you're like, I've got to get this off of me. This is awful. Like I got lust chained to my ankle this whole time. No wonder I'm dragging. Like, I got to get this thing off. Whatever you got to do, God, break this stuff off of me because I don't want to go another day. I don't know any of the Bible. I don't know what's in here. Someone gave one to me, but I'm still like, I don't know. But I'm just praying, God, break it off of me. Free me, release me, because I don't want to go another second in bondage when I know that there can be freedom. And that's what happens in Nineveh. They say, God, free us. And it says in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God relents. He's merciful. And we see the formula, repentance, response, revival. 
They repent. They say, God, we don't want to follow these idols. We don't want to worship ourselves. We don't want to worship the, all these things that we've been into. God, we want to worship you. And so what does it say they do? They respond in obedience. They throw away those idols. That's not a small feat when you're a nation that's built on idols because the temples and the priests are getting money, and it's your whole life, and you're, you're worshiping through prostitution, and you're worshiping in, in lust and, and, and all these kind of different things. And God's like, hey, just break that away. And they do, and they turn, and it says revival. God, relents of disaster and mercy come into that city. They go from sacrificing people to sacrificing praise to God. They go from literally killing people, sleeping with prostitutes on the altar, to singing who you say I am. Like that's the transition. It sounds ludicrous, but it's true. And it's the form of the re repentance, response, revival. Same as Jonah, ran for the presence of God, God saved him. Nineveh pushed away from the presence of God. God still chased him, brought someone. Repents in the whale, repents in the kingdom, right? Even the king responds by laying down his idols, responds by laying down their idols and obeying what God's called them to do, serving the Lord, and revival breaks out. Now people that you would never expect to follow God follow him. This at the time, and you got to stay with me because this is important, it, it, this at the time would be like if you turned on the news tomorrow and they said all of ISIS has converted to Christianity. You're like, that's ludicrous. No, that's exactly how they would have seen it. Everybody who wants to kill you for who you are has now decided that they aren't serving God even at a greater extent than you could ever imagine. I mean, I'll receive that if that happens, praise the Lord. But that is what's happening here. And it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, some of you are Ninevites, and no one ever expects you to find the hope and love of Jesus Christ. They don't. This morning, I want to tell you that I do. That you might feel like a Ninevite, you might feel like you're far from God, but what we see in Scripture is it doesn't matter who you are. The formula is the same. If there's repentance, if there's obedience, there's always revival. In your heart first. Right? Amen? I'm going to invite the band up this morning. Some of you, you have some Ninevehs in your life, some places God's called you to or started calling you to. And you're kind of like, I don't know, Lord. But trust me, if you walk this out, repentance response, respond in obedience to the call, you'll see revival. I don't know about my family. I don't know about my home. I don't know about my work. I don't know about my school. I don't know about, about my city, man. That's tough. I don't know. I don't know. God's saying there's going to be revival, but there has to be repentance, and there has to be a response, and then there's going to be revival. I think sometimes the, my favorite thing about this part of Jonah is that we say, oh, yeah, but Jonah was a man of God. He was a preacher. He was a pastor. So I get that that works for pastors, but how does it work for, like, the rest of us, you know, and we begin to give guilt excuses. Yeah, but God doesn't, you don't know what I've done. Like, you, you haven't gone through what I've gone through, and that's what makes Nineveh so beautiful because Nineveh is all of us. The people that did not deserve it, didn't even know it was coming, didn't even know that hope had arrived, and yet it walks in and tells them, listen, God loves you and cares for you and desires to be in communion with you. And if you would turn your heart to him, you'll find hope, life, purpose, joy, freedom, 
that comes from him. We have Jesus. We got it even better than he had it because we can know the Christ that died for us and rose again and loved us. See, none of us are too far gone. I joked earlier, you know, from the country club to the strip club, it doesn't matter, anywhere in between. You can be a car dealer, drug dealer, whatever you want to be. Please stop dealing drugs. <laughs> but you can still accept Christ. God has called us to a purpose. He built you on purpose for a purpose. And, and that purpose is to live in communion with him. And he's given you a call to revival. He's given this church a call to revival. But the revival won't come unless we walk through the door of obedience. And that begins with repenting, responding, and then we'll see revivals. Everyone with me this morning? Would you stand with me? You know, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says in a famous verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And you say, that's about Israel. And I say, yes, but it's the same formula. Please tell me you're seeing a pattern, right? If my people who are called by the name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, if my people would repent and turn from their wicked ways, respond, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Revival. Repentance, response, revival, it's the same. It's not complicated. We love to complicate it because then we can, oh, I can't do step five, I can't do step six, I can't do step 10. Here's the step, one, two, three, repentance, response, revival. They're all hard, they're all good, <laughs> and you can't skip them. We can't skip to revival and then deal with repentance. It's like in order. It's a blessing that we have, tough thing we have. But can I tell you, if you want revival in your life, if you want revival in your home, if you want revival in your school, if you want revival at your work, it starts right here. Corporate revival is birthed out of personal revival. It starts right here, right here, nowhere else. This is the epicenter of revival, my heart, my heart. This is the epicenter. This is it. If this church, I, I believe revival for this church. I believe revival for Banner Church. And I don't believe that in the way that every pastor says it. I believe it that I literally sold everything that I have. I didn't even move with furniture. I, we came down here with my kids screaming and wondering why on earth do we do this? Because I believe in revival and I've put everything on the line in believing that. My whole life, my whole future, my whole being, my whole family on the line because I believe that you are not here by an accident, that you are built on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is revival in this city. But it starts right here. Every revival has something, something in common. Here's what it is. The people of God got serious about what was right here. And they said, God, I repent of putting other things first. God, I repent of putting my schedule first. I know I'm supposed to serve you, but I, I, I keep putting my schedule first. See, sometimes it's not huge things. It's little things. And I, God, I need to be putting you first. God, I repent of the fact that you called me to go on all the earth and make disciples, but, but I, I come up with excuses why I can't share about the hope and love of Jesus Christ. God, I repent. God, I have an idol of self that if I'm not comfortable, I won't do it. Or I allow my past bitterness. I got an idol of bitterness. God, I just repent of all that. Even if someone's hurt me in the past and I'm still holding on, God, I just, I just lay it down. I don't want to be a slave to this. Repentance. And then response, where has God called you? Some of you, God has called you. Some of you, you're not even sure yet because you haven't even opened the door. But God is trying to say, do you want to see revival? If so, then you got to say, God, I'm willing to follow you wherever you say go, I will go. Whatever you say do, I will do. Response. And then revival, God, I want to see lives changed. 
God, I want to see hope. God, where this, some of you, you got somebody in mind that's the Ninevite in your life, and you're like, God, I need to see a revival on them. And guess what? It still starts here. It still starts right here, right here for you. And this morning, I believe that God wants to ask, and that's what I'm going to ask this morning. Are you willing to be bold? Are you willing to step out and say, God, I want to see revival, so I'm laying down everything that would keep me from revival, everything that would keep me from you, and I'm responding and saying, whatever you say to do, I will do, and wherever you say go, I will go. And God is looking for a bold church. It's not a, it's not a timid church that gets revival. It's a bold church, not a loud church, not a charismatic all the time, just, just bold. Everyone know, following the distinction. There's a big distinction. You gotta be the loudest. You don't have to be the loudest person to start a revival. <laughs> He's asking this morning. If you want revival, it's here. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads with me, because I want you to hear me. Because I'm gonna give a call, and I believe some of you need to respond this morning. Because you're about to step into your future. You're about to step into your purpose. You're about to step into what God has for you. You're about to step into revival. But before you can do that, you're gonna have to step out and say, God, where you say go, I will go. And what you say do, I will do. I will lay down myself and I choose to go with you this morning. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. But God is saying, revival is here. Do you want it? Hear me this morning, church. He's not saying revival is next week if you want it. He's saying revival is here if you want it. Revival is here if you want it. Revival is now if you want it. Revival in Scottsdale is now. Revival in your home is now. Revival at GCU is now. Revival at ASU is now. Revival in your work is now. Revival in your contract job is now. Revival in your home is now. Revival in your kids is now. Revival in yourself is now. But it starts with the moment. Are you willing to lay it down and say, God, I choose to go with you where you say, go, I will go. What you say, do, I will do, because I lay it down for the sake of revival. I want to see hope, life, faith restored in my family, restore to myself, restore to my home. I need you, God. He's asking this morning, some of you, he's asking. He's asking this morning, he's asking. Are you ready? Are you willing to step out? I can do two things this morning. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you've never made a decision this morning to give your life to Christ, you've, you've never uh, felt that freedom of walking in the release from bondage that comes from discovering that your Savior is Jesus, and this morning you want to say, Jesus, I choose to follow you for the very first time. I'm, I'm choosing to step out and follow you. I lay my heart down, myself down, and I just say, God, I choose to follow you this morning for the very first time. Would you raise your hand? You're saying, God, I choose to follow you for the very first time. Just lift it up. I want to pray with you this morning before we move on because this is important and crucial. God, I lift up those who raised their hand this morning who made a decision to follow you. God, this prayer isn't magical words. This is a heart commitment from them to you to say this morning, God, I lay down my life. And I follow you, Jesus. I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I couldn't pay the own, cup, the own price for my sin. But this morning, I choose to follow you. Salvation comes from the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, eyes closed, head bowed. This is your moment. You've been waiting. You've been waiting. We do altar calls here. That's how it works because we believe in the power of a decision because we're a bold people. You got to be bold when you go out these doors. This is a safe space for boldness. This is a safe space to be bold for Christ. This morning, some of you, God is calling and he's saying, do you want revival? Maybe it's in yourself, in your home, whatever it is. In the school, in the city, revival at Banner Church, do you want it? And are you willing to make a stand and a declaration today by stepping out and coming forward and saying, 
God, I follow you where you say, go, I will go. And what you say, do, I will do. He's asking you right now. Every eye closed, every head bowed. He's asking you. On the count of three, I'm going to invite you forward. One, if you feel like God's calling you out to lay it down, maybe in repentance or in response. Two, some of you guys even have a dream, but you haven't stepped out. Three, this morning, would you come down? If you're believing for revival, if you're believing for revival in your home or yourself or your life, and you're willing to step out and say, God, I lay it all down. Where you say, go, I will go. What you say, do, I will do. I want to see revival. Just take a second. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. seconds, a couple more seconds this morning. Come on, if you're, if you're desiring revival, say, God, I want to see revival in my school. God, I want to see revival in my job. I want to see revival in these places. So I'm willing to step out and say, God, whatever you want, I'm there. I'm your man. I'm your girl. Whatever, whatever you want, I'm there. God's asking this morning, who wants to see revival? Who wants to see revival this morning? Say, God, it to you. If there's more of you to have, I want to have it this morning. I want to see revival. Come on, two more seconds. We're going to pray together. If you believe in God, I want to see revival. I'm standing up. We'll pretend I'm also standing here because I'm believing the same thing. I want to see revival tired of addiction ruling our city. I'm tired of divorce ruling our families. I'm tired of depression ruling our schools. Anyone else tired of school shootings? Anyone else tired of that crap? I don't know. I guess it just depends. I want to see revival. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of the enemy thinking that he wins this city. He doesn't win this city. He doesn't win in your home. He doesn't win in your school. He doesn't win in your job. And this morning, God is asking, he's asking, who wants to see it? Who wants to see it? So if you want to see, just lift your hand. We're going to pray together and believe you guys. Say, God, we want to see a revival. Thank you for those who stepped out. You can even reach your hand forward and say, maybe you're praying personal revival in your life or you're laying it down, believing a revival in your home or in your family. We're just going to lift them all up this morning and we're going to go the same progression. God, we thank you that you loved us, that you saw us. God, that you see this city. God, that you see these schools. God, that you see this nation. God, that you see this church. And God, we thank you. God, that as we come to you in repentance and we respond to you in obedience, that you revive, that you restore, that you lift up. And so God, as individuals, we just take time and we repent of anything that would separate us from you. God, of any sin we've allowed to come into our life to rob us of the all-pursuing love of God that is chasing us down, that wants to live in communion with us. We repent of all of it, God. Take it away. Wash it away. Wash it away, God. We want to live with you. We want to be about your business. We want to be about your kingdom, God. Take it away. And God, we respond this morning in obedience. God, as a church, we say, wherever you say go, we will go. Whatever you say do, we will do, God. God, if you call us to preach to people we don't even like, we're going to preach. God, if you call us to be a light to a place we don't even like, we're going to be a light to it. God, if you call us to bring hope where there's a darkness, we're still going to bring it. God, if you call us to have faith where there is none, we're still going to bring it, God, because
because we respond in obedience to you. God, that the God we obey is always greater than the obstacles we face. And so, God, we respond in obedience this morning, and we pray for revival. God, we pray for revival in our homes. God, I pray for revival in the elementary schools, in the middle schools, in the high schools, God. We pray for revival in places that have been plagued by shootings and depression and anxiety. God, we pray revival over families that have been plagued by divorce. God, we pray revival over minds that have been plagued by depression. God, we pray revival over a nation that's plagued by division and narratives that hurt and break down. And God, we pray this morning a mighty revival, God, that as we repent and as we respond, that God, you would build up a great revival. God, we rejoice that you're using Banner Church for your revival. And we declare your goodness. We worship you. We say, holy, holy, holy. 